And then uh, God woke me up at 3 o'clock this morning. I wrote nine more pages. So I'm going to attempt <laughs> this morning to share from my heart what I feel like God has put into my heart when it comes from this idea of moving from a trauma-based lifestyle into a trust-based lifestyle. As I was thinking about this, I think about the fact that all of us are on some sort of journey that moves us from one to the other. None of us are free of trauma that happens in our lives. And if you want deeper understanding of what that term actually means, because I got to be honest with you, I think today our culture has sanitized suffering. It is so common and so, it's overwhelming that you almost have to turn the TV off because you can't quite take the images they're portraying to you, right? You, you know it's happening, you know it's real, and yet it's just overwhelming. The need is great, and, and your heart, it just pulled, like every video I watch, well actually now Hampton, Hampton's got this big old heart in every video that um, comes on or commercial about a dog. And, you know, they play that really sad, I think it's Sarah Evans' song. Like, Hampton's just a blubbering mess on the couch. He's like, Mom, can you just send my piggy bank to the dogs? <laughs> like, we have two dogs, two cats, a bunch of cows. I don't know how many horses. We collected them from the Jankerts because Kyler couldn't possibly part with his horse. How many years ago? He hasn't seen the horse in six years. Guys. <laughs> But Sherry came to us and she's like, Sky, well, you know, he's selling his house and he's selling his dogs and he needs to keep his horse. Said, yeah, we'll take his horse. Of course we'll take his horse. Sky hasn't seen that horse in six years. Horse still hanging out. He's like a puppy dog, just follow you around the backyard. But that, that's, right, the, the, the need is great. And if you have a compassionate heart, you'll take anybody's dogs, cats, random horses. It doesn't matter, people. My dad collected people. They moved in and out of our house the entire time I was alive. That sounds weird. It happened. We would come home, mom, who's that? They're going to share a room with you, Heather. Her name's Miracle. Okay, she moved out three years later. This was the life I lived. Because when you become a Christian, when you become aware of this God that loves you, that rescued you, you know good, rotten, stinky, fisherman, all of a sudden you realize and you're seeing other pieces of creation in a different way. You're seeing them and there's this compassion that happens on the inside of you. And so you want to give out of that. But unfortunately, I think there's just a reality that it's become so much, it's hard for us to even process the reality of the world that we live in. And yet many of us have had some sort of experience in our life that has created an adverse reaction. You've had some sort of trauma, pain, disappointment that's just sort of left on the inside of you. And if you're a real good American, you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get over it. Right? And if somebody else hasn't gotten over it, well, by God, I'll tell you how to get over it because I got over it, so you should learn how to get over it. And if you can't, then I'll take you to my spirit-filled church and they'll cast that demon right out of you. Now, that's not exactly how we say it, but that's how we say it. What they hear us say is something's wrong with them and they need to figure out a way. There's some magic cookie that just all of a sudden evaporates all of those past memories. 
that if you really forgave that person, it would just be gone. How many of you tried really hard? I was telling this to someone last, no, I think it was Wednesday night. And I was like, I can remember being a kid, and they would tell you if you'd go to the altar and you'd lay your burdens down at the altar, right, kid? That's what we said to them. We said just lay your burdens down. I can remember being 15, 16 years old, and it was like that sucker was like, ball and chain to my foot. And it didn't matter how many times I cried at the altar. It didn't matter how many times I begged God to take it. Somehow that dadgum blessed thing crawled right back in the car with me and went home with me. And every week I kept thinking, why can't I get this thing off me? Why can't I let this thing go? Why can't I move past this? Why can't I? Any of you bougie church people want to just say, maybe you struggle with that too? Oh, no, we're going to be our glorified selves on Sunday morning act like we don't struggle. Mm-hmm. There's also going to be a small group for liars starting next Sunday morning. Kent will be teaching it. This is a prophetic word from God. He'll cast that blind demon right out of you or slap you till you stop. I don't know which one, but I'm telling you, they're not going to let me preach after this Sunday morning, so I better get them in now, right? So how do I move from this place of trauma to trust? I tell you, it's simple. This little word called hope. This little tiny four-letter word called hope. But what is my hope in? Is my hope in me? Is it in the people in my life? Because let me tell you, they didn't read the manual for how they were supposed to engage in my life. There's a script they were supposed to have read, and they didn't read it. Because they're not giving me much hope. And the circumstances in my life aren't giving me much hope. So what do I put my hope in? The Bible says that there is a hope that does not disappoint. A hope that will not return void. A hope that is sustaining, life-giving, far beyond what I could possibly do for myself or for anyone else. But a hope that lives down on the inside of me and and calls me into who I really am. But so many of us have forgotten who we really are. We forgot who we are because the circumstances of our lives have changed the context of where we thought our beginning started. We thought our beginning started on, for me, April 15th in 1982, But that's not where I began. You see, you have to go back and put your life in a greater context that goes beyond just me. This isn't about me just pulling myself up by my bootstraps. That's not the gospel. We serve a triune God, a God that in in his character are three beings. He's a God of community. He's a God that shape is a circle. It doesn't have a beginning. There is no end. You can't figure out where one starts and one begins. That's my favorite part about the Holy Ghost because you'll think you don't want that to happen. And before you know it, he'll sneak in and catch you before the dragons in your mind will wake up. Because God is a God where you don't get a little bit of him. You're going to get all of them. I don't care if you go 
to a spirit-filled church or not. The spirit of God is alive and working in each and every one of us. And I don't care if you're just a little quieter than the other Christian beside you. The spirit of God is working on the inside of you. And this God of community calls us into community. And it's through that community that we reveal the hope and love of Jesus Christ. Outside of that relationship, we cannot be restored to our true identity. And my identity is not found in the 37 years that I've been alive. My identity is found in a bigger story. So I'm going to take you to a passage of scripture that I just want you to know you are going to have so much enlightenment from it. I'm going to bet that many of you have skipped over it because you are not as spiritual as I am. So I'm going to school you on some spirituality this morning. I am totally joking. If you do not know who I am, I am the senior pastor's daughter. That does not give me free access to do whatever I want. Typically, I'm the one in most trouble. You can ask any of the staff members. Because I got saved 10 years ago. Not really. I've been in church my whole life. But like 10 years ago, I really got saved. And um, all, like the filter came off. I had posed for 27 years of my life. And all of a sudden, all of the posing, all of the fig leaves were pulled off. And all of a sudden, I just was who I was and there was no hiding it. And so now I just figure why even bother to try. So welcome to Sunday School Class with Heather. So I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 1. It's full of so many great things. And if you have been at TFH long enough, you're going to have experienced this in visual form through the Easter production, some tiki lights, some really weird music that then we wrapped it. I will not wrap it for you this morning. I cannot pronounce all the words, so don't judge me. I'm not even going to try. But we did this weird scene in the play with tiki lights where so-and-so begat so-and-so. And it took forever. But Matthew chapter 1 says, The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah, and Judah and his brothers. And Judah begot Perez, and I don't know his name, and he begot somebody else I don't know his name. And that guy begot some guy with an H name, and that guy begot a ram. I don't think that's like an animal, I think that's a person. And then ram begot an A guy, and that A guy begot an N guy, and the N guy begot an salmon. I don't know. And Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed. I think that's right. Is that right? Obed by Ruth. And Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. And David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of another. Whoa. Whoa, wait a second, church. There's some sinners. <laughs> Any of you been married once before? If you've ever had a Christian tell you you're going to hell because you got a divorce, just remind them of um, Matthew chapter 1, verse 6. That person's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's just keep going. And then this A person begat a Jehoshaphat. I know that one. And Jehoshaphat begot that J, and that J begot Uzziah. And Hezekiah's in here somewhere. You're welcome. I gave my kids Jesus' names. What'd you name your kids? Anyways, and then, so then, brothers, about the time they were carried away to Babylon, and they begat, and they begat, and there were Z's, and E's, and M's, and they begat, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, 
who is called Christ, don't you feel like you have been enlightened in the spirit of God? Church, our context is not in me. It's not in just Quentin Moore. It's not just in Mansell Moore or Noah Glassmore, who was our first uh, pastor in the Moore side of the family, who we named our son after. But it just keeps going back generation after generation after generation. And the Christ came through sinners for sinners. One of the people in that list was a prostitute. You see, most people will disregard what Christ came through because we will reject what we don't understand or we think isn't good. We'll label it good and bad and Christ will come right in the middle of it regardless of your behavior and he'll show up and he'll tell you whether you're good or bad. It doesn't matter because I am good. And our context of who we are as people of God is founded right there. And 90% of the church, I've actually never read Matthew chapter one. I'm gonna have to get real honest right here. I'll attend the liar class next Sunday morning. Hope to see you all there. This will be the biggest Sunday school class we've ever had. We'll sprinkle holy water on you. Mm -hmm. Now some of them are just going to crawl out. <laughs> I don't know what to do with holy water. Anyways, because we skip over some of those parts that we don't even, why were they even in there? I remember sitting in our Easter play going, why are we doing this? Along with the weird pastors in the nude outfits, you should have been here. We are a weird church, regardless of what anyone wants to say, including my dad. We are weird people, and we are proud of it. There were weird people half naked at a basketball game, and all of you think that's fine. But if we're weird in church, something must be wrong with us. Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay. You're in good company. they weird too. Weird and broken. This is our new tagline, Kat. Weird and broken. <laughs> we come from a context of a bigger story than just our story. Now all of a sudden, I'm not limited by my screw-ups. I'm not limited by my successes. Because I'm part of a bigger community of people that we celebrate together, that in that relationship, we are restored to our true identity. That is the church. That is who we are supposed to be. Many of us are allowing the conflicts that we have endured to determine the outcomes of our lives. We can't frame the conflicts and the trauma in just our story. We have to look beyond ourselves and look at this great big story that doesn't say God did it to you. God did not traumatize you. God did not send that person in your life to traumatize you. God did not allow the trauma to happen in your life. He didn't stand back and go, oh, I think she can endure a little longer. That is not who God is. God is love. Unfortunately, we live in a broke, sick world and nine times out of ten, the people that have traumatized us were traumatized by somebody else. I, I was told a story where they talked about, uh, I, maybe it's a fable, I don't know. Katie will clean this up Wednesday night. Come back. It was her story. She talked about how they, they were, um, these villagers 
were going in and they, were, they, they had these bodies that were floating down the river. And so they're pulling these bodies out of the river and they're, they're compassionate towards these people and they're giving them care and they're trying to mend their, the, the, the things that are wrong with them physically and emotionally. And all of a sudden, after years of doing this over and over again, they thought, wonder if we should go up the river and figure out what's causing these people to float down the river. That maybe if we go back to a bigger source of who we are, that maybe we might see trauma and the reality that all of us struggle with trusting other people because it's been through relationship that our trust was broken. Our trust wasn't broken because of no good reason. Our trust is broken because somebody that we put our trust in hurt us, disappointed us. Listen, the truth of the matter is my kids think they're being traumatized every day. When I tell them, no. Currently, if I tell Hezekiah, no, this was the conversation on the way to school Thursday morning. It was actually an answer prayer. They didn't have school on Friday morning. Not because I wanted to spend more time with my children, truth be told. I came to church and worked on a sermon. Sean spent the day with them. I do love my children. Don't call me into DCF. Anyways. But if you've been a parent a long time, it is amazing to me the character development that happens as a parent in me. Not in them. I don't know that I'm accomplishing anything in them. There's a lot of character development happening inside of me. Like learning to shut my mouth. My mom tried to teach me that lesson my entire life. Didn't learn it until I had kids. Now I'm just like, I'm... I don't know. I got nothing left to say. Nothing left to say. It doesn't even matter what I say at this point, right? That's a free side note. We'll also start a parenting class with someone who's smarter than me. Anyways, there's got to be a successful parent in here somewhere. Mel Barnett. Mel Barnett could do this class. I feel like he'd be a pretty successful parent at this point. Come on, give him a shot. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Anyways, we won't tell him. Edit that out. Anyways, Hezekiah, literally, he melted down because he had to get out of bed. He melted down because he had to get dressed. Then he melted down because he had to eat breakfast. Then he melted down because he had to pick out of his options what he wanted to eat for breakfast. He got options and was mad he had options. Okay? We didn't have options in my house. You know what my mom did? There's cake left over from a church wedding. It's like a donut. Eat it. (laughs) Parenting success stories right here. My parents are going to regret ever giving me a microphone. Anyways, then he melted down. What was the next thing? Oh, he had to brush his teeth. I made him brush his teeth. Um, Then he had to put shoes on. He didn't like the way his dad put his shoe on. So then I had to put the shoe on, but then he stopped me because the way I tie the shoes are not the way he likes his dad to tie the shoes. So I'm not allowed to tie the shoes. I just had to put the shoes on and his dad ties the shoes. Then it was because he had to carry his own book bag to the car, which seat he got in the, I could count up 17 things, 17 things he was mad about, full-blown tears. And I'm like, buddy, I don't know what to take seriously because you get mad about everything. Of all of these things, what is actually, he's like, you're just traumatizing me, mom. And I'm like, it's fine, I can put you in another house. I'll move you into somebody else's house. You'll see how traumatized. Like, 
Sometimes the way we frame something that's happening in our lives, it may not be as traumatic to somebody else. Now listen to me, Hezekiah, as oblivious as he is most days, he is so aware of how he feels about everything. I didn't get a girl, but I have the emotions of a girl and this young man. And it is testing. In fact, I've had to own the fact that I looked at Sean one day and I was like, I'm pretty sure this is what it was like to parent me as a child. Because Zeke always has this massive narrative. Like one day I gave his younger brother a cookie. And to him that communicated that I loved Henley more than I loved him. And I'm like, buddy, there's 75 more cookies over here. You can have as many of them as you want. Somehow in his mind, he has already at seven started putting storylines to the things that are happening in his life. I looked at a seven-year-old one day when she came off the bus and she was distraught over what happened in first grade. And please hear me, as I make fun of this, a lot of times when they're little people, we, we think that, that's not stress. I can tell you stress. Right, We don't think their life is stressful, but in their little worlds, it is so stressful. And there's no one narrating it for them. Someone's just telling them they need to get over it because it's not as bad as I've got it. We don't say that, but that's how we treat them. Are you seriously going to lose your mind over this? I'm going to strangle you before I get out of this story. Right? Like what, we, what they hear us say is what's happening in their life is not important. And we are raised that way from childhood through our teenage years because we don't think our teenagers are going through anything tough. And I realize comparative to where we are at at 27 and 37, it doesn't match up. But comparison will kill the child within you. Comparison will begin to rob you of the reality that what is meaningful to me is not that important. And so I should just get over it and move on. And now all of a sudden I spend the rest of my life trying to get over it and move on. And all of a sudden I'm 57 years old and I am actually not over anything. Can I get an amen from anyone in the house that might say, huh. You will make your greatest relational mess-ups by taking one moment out of context. You'll ruin a relationship with someone who's been faithful for you for years, has been good to you for years over one situation. God will show up and sometimes the circumstances and the situations in our lives do not change. The chaos and the confusion is still swirling on the outside of us. But there is a difference between chaos and confusion being external and it being internal. And when the God, the creator almighty steps into your world and peace that surpasses understanding, joy abundantly and exceedingly resides on the inside of you. It doesn't matter the chaos and the confusion that rails on the outside of you because you will begin to stand in a place where joy and peace and love surpasses anything that you can see with your physical eyes. That church is the God that saves. That church is the God that will step into your messy, screwed up, probably on your own account life and pull you out. He'll set you up on a different place because you are a chosen, set apart we not only have to understand our beginning and the context, we have to understand the end. Do you know the end of the story? Do you ever sit with someone who knows the end of the movie? It's kind of obnoxious, actually. 
real obnoxious, actually. But can I tell you something? Actually, when they get, when I'm trying to, Hampton normally does this just because he's nine, he's oldest, he's kind of this whole alpha thing, like he's super cool, he doesn't need mom and dad no more, he's like, I don't even know what's happening. I need a parenting class, one of y'all should start it, just saying, I need some help, y'all. Nine has been a whole new ballpark, I really thought I had this parenting thing in the bag. Nope, sure don't. Anyway, so he is telling me how it is. He's, I finally was like, why, I don't need to watch the show now. I'm good. They actually don't even need to watch. They're watching like High School Musical 3 for the 9,000th time. And I'm like, well, I no longer need to watch the show because I know how it ends. Thanks for talking the whole time. Church, we need a community of believers that will start telling other people what the end of the story is. That I don't know if you knew this, but you're actually more than a conqueror. You're the head and not the tail. You're not going to get taken out by this. I realize that this struggle really sucks, but I promise you, on the other side of this, there is something greater than what you're going through. And God didn't put you in here so you'd learn a lesson. We just all go through struggles. The only way we can actually celebrate on the other side is because I went through something that wasn't real great. And we need a few people just to stand on the other side and go, hey, come this way. I walked that way. I'll show you a beaten path. I'll help you get someplace else. But we're too busy coming in and out of church. We don't talk to one another, connect with one another. We might get in one of those groups, but really I don't got time for that. Nine o'clock in the morning. I'm supposed to be in church from nine to one. You'll watch a football game longer than that. But if you have to come to church and get connected to the people of God, to the creator that gave you life, all of a sudden, I'm real busy. I'd include you, encourage you, go home, take your calendar. It's real easy. Hit delete. Did you know you have power over your own calendar? I will be honest with you. People put things on my calendar. I just want to go delete. How does Lucas get to put something on my calendar? How does my dad's... No, you actually, contrary to this thought, let's, let's, let's just practice it with this thought, right? Let's reframe this thought. Take a big deep breath. I am control of my calendar. I can say no. I could get up an hour early and spend time with God. I could cut off social media. I bet if I just got off Facebook, I would, you would be shocked how many hours in the week you saved. If you didn't watch TV or have Facebook, what would you do with all of that time? Maybe look at somebody that's in the same house with you and connect with them. <laughs> and the way you connect, contrary to the culture, does not happen through a device. Connection happens when I look face to face with somebody and I deep dig down deep into who they are and I find out the context of their story. Now all of a sudden I'm not criticizing why they're parenting the way they parent. I'm not judging the way they're living life the way they live life because all of a sudden I have a totally new perspective of who that person is because I took the time to connect and understand a deeper version of who they were. That is church, not a building we come into for a limited amount of time to get me what I need 
to get through my week. Church is a community of people. We ain't bougie, we super broken. We're all kinds of bruises. And as soon as we think we got one healed, we probably get knocked down five more times before we get back next week. I don't know about you, but this week was a tough week. I got up every morning and thought, all right, I'm going to kick today in the teeth. <laughs> Thursday morning, it lasted till 9.15. All joking aside, 9.15. You ever have one of those weeks where you can't even tell up from down? Where you're so caught in the spiral that's going off in your head? That by 9.15 in the morning, you're going to ask a Shelby and my sister. Neither one of them are here. You're going to ask them. They got a Marco Polo for me. If you don't know what Marco Polo is, it's my new favorite thing in the whole entire world. Don't invite me to be your friend. I'm limiting friends. But anyways, because listen, I don't check my phones anyways. So just don't be mad at me. I really stink at it. But anyway, so I just could not adult. I was done adulting. When parked my car first, I went to the quick shop, all honesty. See, this is transparent, Heather. Welcome to Heather's world. I drove to the quick shop. I bought a soda, a bag of chips, and an entire box of ding-dongs. Not one ding-dong, an entire box. If you open the glove compartment in between. the See, minivans have these incredible things. They're these little compartments. Listen, moms, buy a minivan. You can hide food all over that thing. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. You know you want to eat something sometime and your kid shows up and eats it before you can even get it in your mouth. Anyways, I am sitting in my car with my bag of chips. My like, I don't know, the Dr. Pepper I got was ridiculously large. There's no way I would have drank it. And I sat over there and had myself a pity party on Marco Polo. You want to know why? Because I got stuck in my own head. I don't think I had my Marco Polo done in five minutes. I could literally see the church. And I'm like, I don't even want to go. Listen, guys, I work at a church. I'm supposed to be a pastor. And by Thursday, I wanted to cash out. It was not worth it. I, I understand David when he writes in the Psalms, oh, God, take, cast me not away from you, but all the rest of this. Just let me go. I don't want to do it anymore. Have you read Paul? Paul needed Prozac. And ain't none of you would have followed Paul because he was killing Christians six weeks ago. And we all know you got to prove yourself before we'll actually listen to you because that's how Christians really work. So ain't none of us would have followed Paul because he was murdering people two seconds ago. And now he's bringing them to Jesus. Let's see you walk that out. And right, we're not bougie Christians that judge other people. We're holy, sanctified people who just accept them as soon as they have a transformation with Jesus. And we don't hold them to their past, but we celebrate what their current situation is because that's what Christ does. And so that's what we do as Christians. And so anyways, I was having my pity party right over there beside the clinic. And I'm eating my ding-dongs and my chips, sour cream and cheddar. They're like my favorite. I never get them and inhaling it. changed nothing but what did change was within an hour both my sister and Shelby were blowing my phone up Shelby texted me at one point she said I am it was right in the middle of the ice storm 
She said, I am sitting in my car. I'm coming to your house. I'll stand outside all night. I need to know you're okay. That is the church. If you don't have a friend that'll sit in her car in an ice storm, honk her horn, beat down your door, she'll bring you, she's like, I'll bring you nine more boxes of ding-dongs. <laughs> How many ding-dongs you want? <laughs> you better find yourself some friends. People that won't let you stay in that mess. People that won't cycle in your mess with you, that won't feed that cycle, but will look at you and say, no, you got this. You can do this. You can get up. You got this. That ain't nothing. My sister had to look at me and say, Heather, I think you're putting way too much intensity on one thing, and it's really not that big of a deal. You need people in your life. You want to move from trauma-based living to trust? You got to stand in truth. You got to get real honest with yourself. Honest with the people in your life. Honest with the creator that will stare you right in the eye. You can cover up a lot of things. But when you come face to face with the creator and all the fig leaves are off and you stand naked in a garden. Your creator will love you. He'll show up and offer you ding-dongs. He'll drive through an ice storm. Go through a cross. Go to hell and back. To rescue you. The Bible says it doesn't matter if there's just one. He'll he will rush down from heaven to save you. And that we, the church, are the incarnate body of Christ. We are supposed to be revealing the love of God through relationship and restoring other people. And sometimes even people that are supposed to have it together. I had two friends show up in my life and restore back to me. This isn't who you are. You don't sit in a car eating ding-dongs. What are you doing? Put the ding-dongs down, Heather. Get up and go back. And Thursday was the day I started writing this sermon. You got to have people in your life, church. You cannot do this alone. Eve had this idea that when she stood in the garden, that the serpent, all he had to do was make her question what God said to her. He didn't have to convince her. He didn't have to twist her arm. He just had to take out of context what God had said. Did he say? And she second-guessed every relationship she'd ever known. She second-guessed her identity she second-guessed this community in which she had been birthed into, created from. And just as a side note, it's 1154, but this is real important for me with this story. This has nothing to do with the sermon. But in the garden, how many kids we have in the room? You should earmuff your kid. This isn't children's church. Send them to children's church. <clears throat> I feel like women get a bad rap in the Garden of Eden. These were two naked people. No one else around. Adam was not that far away. We all know a man. He wasn't hanging out doing something else. He didn't go fishing. He was real close by. So before we put all this blame on the woman, I just want you to know, Adam just didn't say nothing. He just stood back there like, do do do. You know how many times I look at Sean, I'm like, didn't you hear that conversation? He's like, no, what conversation? Mm-hmm. So... Men, you should pay attention. Maybe. 
And women, you need to pay attention to what you're listening to. Because you get the wrong person talking in your ear. You'll second guess who you are. You'll second guess who he is. You'll second guess who he is. And you'll change the entire identity of your marriage if you're listening to the wrong person. Let me tell you, marriages are on attack. There was a word given. There's a reason why they're on attack. Because they are the most perfect mirrored picture of what our relationship with Christ is supposed to be looking at. So if you are struggling in your marriage, I want to encourage you, don't you act like you don't need help. Get help. Have somebody speak into your life. Have another couple. Find a couple in this church and say, I just, we just need friends. We need someone to speak life into us. If you're not putting any intention into that relationship, I want to encourage you. Shame on you. You better put intention in that relationship because if you're not careful, you'll have a snake slither in there and just make someone second guess. Make someone question. They don't got to do anything. They just got to wonder. God had done nothing but good to Eve. And yet a snake made her question who she was. Father, I pray this place, this place would be a safe place where truth would prevail. Where, Father, we wouldn't be afraid to look at somebody in our lives and say, no, 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 that's not who you are. You're a child of the Most High God. You are redeemed. You are set apart. You are chosen. You are the head and not the tail. You are not what you were told you were as a child. You are not your past experiences. You are not your past traumas. They may be a part of you, but they don't limit you. They don't have to paralyze you. You are not just this, but your context is so much bigger and so much broader. And I can tell you the beginning and I can tell you the end. That all things will work together for those who believe in Christ Jesus. So Father, I just pray that this place, that we would become hosts of your presence. Hosts in our own lives. That Father, we would step into the lives of others and help bring restoration and revelation into their lives. That Father, that they are the creation. That you created us to be in communion with you. Father, you came and sent your son and through the death and the burial and the resurrection of your son, you simply did that so that you could have a relationship with us. Father, remind us today as we come and we take a simple cracker and dip it in a simple glass that, Father, it would be the simple things in our lives that would reveal the greatness of who you are that we would learn to cherish that deeper, that you would deepen our compassion for our fellow man. Father, renew in us a steadfast spirit. Clean out those places in our hearts that maybe we've even forgotten about, those thoughts, those pains, those disappointments. Father, let this place be a place where someone would feel safe to stand in the truth that you might be revealed. So today, regardless of what you walked in here with, regardless if you think you're good enough, you're looking at somebody that'll look back at you and say on Thursdays, eating ding-dongs, block away. I don't deserve to stand here this morning. I don't deserve the blessing God's bestowed on my life. 
See, it's not my performance that allows me to be who I am, it's his. I'm just a broken vessel that's willing to be used by him. You have so much to offer the world in which you live. Don't second guess. Don't think what you have isn't enough. So this morning, I just want you to come humbly, broken, chosen. Be reminded that through these gifts, the gifts of God for the people of God, that we would know this mystery of our faith that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. So Father, we stand before you and we humbly repent. Father, for the things that we have done and the things that we have left undone. Father, we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Father, we have judged and criticized not only them, but ourselves. And Father, in doing so, we have judged and criticized you. So we stand before you. And we ask that you would forgive us. Take from us, Father, the things in our lives and refresh and renew and breathe new life into them. That, Father, we would be the representation of your life, your love, your grace to this world. So this morning, I want to invite you to come. Come take, eat, drink from the body and the blood of Christ. This morning, we have 14 people that have made the choice to be baptized. And so as you guys come and partake, we're going to be baptizing new believers into the body of Christ. And so I would encourage you, if you want to come and shake their hands, if you want to come and meet a new brother or sister in Christ, you've got 14 new ones being added to the family this morning. Amen.